Today on Lessons for Living, the teaching ministry of Mark Ballmer, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel, Melbourne in Melbourne, Florida. If you're watching a TV program that you shouldn't be, if you're putting a drug in your mouth you shouldn't be, if you're going to places you shouldn't be, if you're on websites that you shouldn't be, if you're saying things that are bitterness and whatever out of your mind, your places you should, if you're compromised, say, well, I don't think, you know, we're living together, but we love each other and it's going to be okay and that's going to be, you're beginning to go down a very dangerous path. There is no compromising the Word of God. You either obey it or you rebel against it. Sunday school classes, Christian school, Bible stories, Christian cartoons. You may feel pretty good about the way you filled your kids' days with good influences. All those things are fine. But they won't shape your child into a Christian. The testimony of your life will be a far greater influence on their openness to the gospel. If you aren't living your life in a way that communicates God's authority, then your children will discount Christianity as a valid way to live. But if your children see you making decisions based on truth and whether or not those choices are pleasing to God, they'll see the value in living under a covering of truth and grace. Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. We'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of today's broadcast. Now let's join Pastor Mark in the book of 1 Kings, chapter 13, verse 1, with our continuing study entitled, Removing Mountains Through Prayer. So God brings a good prophet, a godly prophet from the southern part of Israel, from Judah, 1 Kings 13, and he says to him, go to the north, to that place where they're just abusing my name and have idol worship. And he says to them, go there. And as he goes there, it says in verse 1, as Jeroboam was standing by the altar to make an offering, so even now the king was becoming a priest, which should not have been. Here's what the good prophet says in front of the altar. He cried out against the altar by the word of the Lord. In other words, the word of the Lord had come to this prophet. O altar, altar. This is what the Lord says. A son named Josiah will be born to the house of David. On you he will sacrifice the priests of the high places who now make offerings here. And human bones will be burned on you. What is he saying? Follow me. Here's what he says. The prophet comes and he stands before this altar which is filled with idol worship. And he says... God says to you, king, there is coming another king, and he names him Josiah. And he's going to come, and he's going to burn your high priests, who are an abomination to God, and he's going to burn them right on this altar. In other words, desecrate this false altar, because God was angry. Now, we don't have time this morning, but if you look in the book of 2 Kings... Prophecy 100% took place. How many years later? 300 years later. You say, well, how can anybody make a prophecy about something that's going to happen 300 years later? That's because God is in total control. 
300 years later, this prophecy came. By the way, when we get into the year next year in January, February, March, somewhere on that area, I'm going to start a teaching on the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation. And we're going to talk about end time prophecies as we approach the end of this world. We're getting close, guys. We need to know what God prophesies. So God's word is 100% true. Now look what else happens in verse 3. The same day the man of God gave a sign. This is a sign of the Lord as declared. The altar will be split apart and ashes on it will be poured out. So to show this future prophecy will take place, because King Jeroboam wouldn't have been there 300 years later, he says, to show you that what God says is true, watch this. The altar that you're on right here is going to split apart and the ashes, this stone altar and the ashes are going to pour out. Well, look at the response of the king. you think the king was happy about this? Probably not. Look at verse 4. Now, when King Jeroboam heard what the man of God cried out against the altar at Bethel, here's what he did. He stretched out his hand from the altar and said, Seize him. Now, you have to understand this to get the meaning of what we're talking about. When the prophet was there, this king basically said this to the prophet. How dare you come to my altar in my country and tell me that God is going to do such and such and so and so. I'm the king. I'm the authority. I'm in total control. And to show you that I am, I'm going to seize you. So his hand went out as a sign of what? Man's authority. Do you have it? This king says, seize the prophets. I'm the king. How dare you say this about me? Well, let's read what happens. As he does this, the last part of verse 4 says, but the hand he stretched out toward the man shriveled up so he could not pull it back. So what happened? He does this. Here's his authority. Who are you trying to represent God? I'm in authority here. And he says, seize the man. And as they get ready to do that, he pulls his hand back and it does this. He can't bring it back. Now, how would you feel if you're the one in authority and your hand just froze? Would you think maybe the words you just said maybe weren't the right words? Would you think so? He felt horrible. He couldn't do anything. And what happened is this. When that hand became seized, he knew he was not in total authority. You see, his hand shriveled. And let me say this to you. The minute you begin to rebel against God and begin to operate by your own power, your life will shrivel. God will finally come to you and say, <clears throat> Wake up. You are not God. I am. And there is only one, and I will be worshipped. So we see this happening, and we now know that the king knows somebody else is in authority. Look at verse 5. Double whammy. Also the altar was split apart, and its ashes poured out according to the sign given by the man of God, by the... Here's the key, the word of the Lord. So as King Jeroboam stands there with his hand shriveled, totally shocked, the thing that the unnamed prophet says happens. Notice, the king saw God's authority, and the king now knows that God's word was true. God had power over a human. He had power over a stone altar. He had power over everything. Verse 6. Then the king, wisely, said to the man of God, Help! 
That's basically what that means. Help, intercede with the Lord. Notice, who's God? He's supposed to be a king of Israel. Who's God? He isn't his God anymore. He became his what? His own God. So he says to this man of God, please pray for me that my hand may be restored. Now I want you to put yourself there as the prophet. You've come, you've seen idolatry, you've seen a king try to take you and kill you, and then the king says, hey, help me out. I don't like my hand like this. Would you help me out? How many of you would be helpful? How many would say, yeah, over my dead body, I'm going to help you? Or how many of you might say, yeah, well, maybe in a few weeks, let's just see how you feel going around like this. What happens? Look, so the man of God interceded with the Lord and the king's hand was restored and became as it was before. What you see there, and you need to underline in your Bible, is the grace of God. For somebody to be in total rejection of God, idol worship, speaking against God and his prophet, and yet for God to still heal that man's hand fully, tells me how wonderful God's grace is. And let me challenge you. Many of us have forgotten what it was like when we were in sin. We were rebellious against God. Everything we did spoke against God. And yet God came in His wonderful grace and He saved us, didn't He? That's why we're here this morning. Don't forget where you've come from. By the way, as you're witnessing to friends and people at work, don't say, man, you're so horrible. You've done this and you've done that. And all these things are so bad and this and that and the other. Don't do that. Just remember God's grace and His mercy. He wants to do the very same thing. So God shows His grace and mercy here, giving men many chances to repent. Look at verse 7. Then the king said to the man of God, come home with me and have something to eat. And I'll give you a gift. Well, what's happening here is this. The king now realizes with his hand shriveled and now healed that he is not in control. So he's going to try to work the circumstances out to do one thing. The prophecy of God to destroy the altar and the nation in 300 years from now in that area is still intact. He's going to try to revert it and he's going to offer the prophet a couple things. Come home and have some food. Identify with me. I'm going to give you a gift. Let me see if I can buy your loyalty, because I want you now to go back to God and intercede for one thing. See if you can change this prophecy. I'd like good news instead of bad news out of this. So even though he knows God's in control, he's still trying to manipulate the situation. Look what happens in verse 8. But the man of God answered the king, even if you were to give me half your possessions, which of a king would be a lot, I would not go with you. Nor would I eat bread or drink water here. Why? The key is in verse 9. For I was commanded by the word of the Lord. You must not eat bread or drink water or return by the way you came. So he took another road and did not return by the way he had come to Bethel. Now what is happening here? Before this prophet came, God said to him, When you go, I don't want you to identify with this sinful nation in any way. Don't go into their home. Don't take anything from the king. Don't Certainly don't take a gift from the king because I want this nation to know I'm upset at the way they're treating me. Now, do you think the prophet could have been hungry? Do you think he could have been thirsty? Do you think it'd be nice to go to a king's palace and maybe get a little gift or two? 
Do you think he might have said, hey, I'm the man of the hour. The altar split, the man's hand shriveled, it got better. I'm the guy. You know, he might add a sign, I'm the prophet. Because they see the scripture says he's unnamed. He was tempted. But notice what the man does. He obeys God's word fully. There is no compromise in his life. Why? Because he trusts God fully. If today you're here and you're beginning to compromise in one area of God's word, you're headed down the wrong road. If you're watching a TV program that you shouldn't be, if you're putting a drug in your mouth you shouldn't be, if you're going to places you shouldn't be, if you're on websites that you shouldn't be, if you're saying things that are bitterness and whatever out of your mind, your places you should, if you're compromised, say, well, I don't think, you know, we're living together, but we love each other and it's going to be okay and that's going to be, you're beginning to go down a very dangerous path. There is no compromising the word of God. You either obey it or you rebel against it. And this is the story. That was the Old Testament they rebelled. In the New Testament, we come across Jesus. He's facing the Jewish church. We already read it this morning. I'm only going to take a moment to mention it to you. Here's what Jesus said about the Jewish church early in his ministry. He says this in Matthew. Why do you break the command of God for the tradition of men? There are many churches today that are abusing the word of God. They'll tell you part of it's true. They'll only go to their favorite passages. That's why we must go through the entire Word of God. You cannot do that. But Jesus said to the Jewish leaders, you have taken the Word of God and you've basically discounted it. Now we come to God's authoritative Word. In our world today, are people still rebelling against this? You know, in the Old Testament it says, train a child up in the way. In Ephesians, it says, Father, don't exasperate your children, but raise them up in a godly fashion. In Deuteronomy, it says, read it to them when they get up in the morning and they sit down, watch your life. So the Bible says that I do have a tremendous role in raising my kids. Psychology today says, no, you don't. Well, who are we going to believe? Are you going to rebel or submit? You say, well, that can't be happening in our country. Hello. So in a sly way, what is Satan doing? He's saying this, this doesn't apply anymore. Go with the new thought. Here it is. Now I'm going to shock you. I believe what she says. And here's what I believe. You see what this woman did was she went out to teenagers and she just went and took a poll and she began talking to them. And she compiled all of this literature. And here's what she said from teenagers, basically this. Who taught you your values? Where'd you get your values from? What are you thinking? What's happening? And what they said was this. We got our values basically from our own peer group, our teenagers, teenagers at school and whatever. We didn't get them from our parents. So she writes that parents that raise their kids have no input. What she's writing about, her result is true. How she got there is not. Is this what God wanted for kids to get all their upbringing from their peer group? They're supposed to get it from who? Parents. Who are they getting it from? This is why I believe her. Many, probably the majority of our children today, teenagers and up, 
Where have their values come from? Hasn't come from the parents. Why? Because the parents are not teaching the Word of God. You step out this door today and say to people, what about the Bible? Is that everything about the kids? I don't know. They don't know. So where are the kids getting their values? From school, from MTV. What a slap against God's Word. This is why even Christians can fall into this. Here's what I hear. Well, if we homeschool and if, if we have Christian schools and if we have Sunday schools, the kids will get all their values from there. That's not where they're supposed to get their values from. They're supposed to get them from you and I as parents in the home. They say, well, I read my kid every night a little Bible story and you see my book. Let me ask you another question. Does your life match what you read? What, what do you mean? Now, now you're going to meddle in here. Cut it out. Well, when a child sees that what you read doesn't match their life, guess what? They've already discounted it. So what she's finding in this country, I believe is true. It's not what God wanted. That's why I believe our Sunday school is so valuable. Why? Because a tremendous number of our kids that are there have no Christian parents. This is the only place they're going to get any kind of Bible training. And it's there. That's why we believe it's very valuable. Same with our teenagers. Most of these kids come from unchristian homes. They have no clue about the things Pastor Rick even talks about. Why? Because parents have blown it. We've blown it. It's time to get back to the authority of God's Word. Now, let me ask you this morning a couple questions. I believe you're looking for point number five. If we take this Bible and we do away with it, what do we have left in this world? If you take the Bible away, we have no control, we have no absolutes, we have no morality, we have no authority, we have no guidance, we have no truth. So let's go home. No, point number five is this. Jesus lived under the authority of God's Word. Jesus lived under the authority of God's Word. So should we. So should we. Matthew 4, 4, I'll read it to you this morning, says this, Man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. God has not removed his word. In fact, the Bible tells us he's preserved it for us. That's why we teach it here verse by verse. This word of God is God's authoritative guide to life. God's word is totally, listen, totally sufficient for any situation in your life. It tells us how to live successfully in this world. It tells me how to get to heaven. You can trust your life and eternity to God's word. Every single week, we see people's lives totally changed. That's why Satan hates the word of God. And secondly, he hates the teaching of the Word of God. When you think about it, the Scripture says, as a man and a woman thinks in their heart, so do they become. That's why we teach the Word of God. You've heard it. The Scripture says it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's gone in, and I have people stop me all the time saying, every time you preach, you preach like right to me. Praise God. God's preaching right to you. And it's good for you, because He goes in and He goes like this. Tweak, 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 tweak. Sometimes it's more than a tweak, isn't it? (laughs) But when you leave, you go... Woo! That hurt a little bit. But it was healthy for us, wasn't it? 
for all of us. That's what the word does. And this morning, Satan hates it. He hates lies being changed. I want to ask you three questions before I give you the last thing this morning. If you're a Christian this morning, let me answer this question. Is the Bible God's final authority in your life? That's a yes or a no answer. Number two, have you been compromising God's word? In other words, have you come to a place in the Bible and you think, well, you know, I don't really want to live that way. So, you know, some liberal minister said I could do this and some psychology said I could do this. And I don't think the Bible really applies in this age. If you have, you're headed down the wrong road. You'd never compromise with the authority. Number three, are you willingly submitting to God's authority in his word? You say, well, I'm here every week. I'm submitting to God's word. You tell me I have to submit to God's word, so I'm submitting to God's word. Oh, that's exciting. Hey, God is again. I had to leave the guy. I'm going to have to read the Bible this week. You see, submission is defined as this. A willing attitude that wants to cooperate. Why would you and I want to ever rebel against the creator of the universe that's shown us so much grace and mercy. What a great God we serve. I mean, to give us the guidebook for all of life and to know that you can base your life on it. What a wonderful God. The Bible tells me one more truth. We've taken the beginning of time. We've taken the Old Testament. We took Jesus' time. Here's the end time. In the end time, the Bible says this. There's coming a day when every knee and every tongue will have an effect about God's authority. Here's what it says. Every knee will bow and every tongue, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You say, well, I'm never going to do that. Uh, we can argue all day long. It doesn't matter. I'm not an authority. You're not an authority. God's an authority. And there will come a day when you will bow and say, you are Lord. You were authority. I rebelled all my life, but you are. Now, here's the problem. If you submit to God now, because that's what he wants you to do, and you kneel to God, and you admit your sin, and you accept him as your Lord and Savior, when you kneel now, today, while you're living, then Jesus Christ, when you kneel and confess it, comes into your life as your Savior. That's what all of us did that are Christians here. If you wait until you die, and then submit and kneel, and say that word, you will do it, but Jesus then is not your Savior. He is your judge. One of the other things people have put in here is they've said there's some intermediate place you can go after you die and get things right. That is not from God's word. The moment you breathe your last breath, every chance of being right with God is through. That's why the Bible says today is the day of salvation. You say, what a mean God! Mean God? Jesus knew that men and women rebelled. God knew. And he said, I'm going to send my son because man has rebelled. And I could submit lovingly this morning to Jesus Christ. In today's message, Pastor Mark emphasized the necessity of submission for believers. We have a tendency to put ourselves in authority when it comes to the way we live our lives. But as we learn, Jesus lived under the authority of God, and so should we. 
Satan tries to deceive people and cause doubt about who's really in authority over the earth. But it's our choice whether we submit to him or not. Pastor Mark covered quite a bit in today's message. Perhaps you'd like to review. You can listen to today's message again by logging on to LessonsForLivingRadio.com. Just select today's date from the media player. Or you can also call us toll-free. The number to call is 866-779-3441 to place an order for a CD. Again, that number to call is 866-779-3441. Another way to get in contact with us is by email. The address is info at LessonsForLivingRadio.com. That's info at LessonsForLivingRadio.com. By far, the best way to stay current with everything that you hear on Lessons for Living is to subscribe to the podcast. Subscribing is easy. Just follow the link at LessonsForLivingRadio.com. Now be sure and tune in next time as Pastor Mark comes to the portion of Mark that tells of the man with the vineyard and how he rents his land to some farmers. We'll see that Jesus' parable mirrors the behavior of the Israelite people throughout history, and how God's patience and long-suffering allows them to continually return to Him. We'll see God's prophets continually rejected in favor of whatever gratifies the flesh. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. From all of the production team here at Lessons for Living, we want to say thank you for tuning in, and may God bless you. And together, let's do life right.